0: And we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobet Books as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. And now it's time for our weekly trip to Staffordshire. And Adrian and Rebecca have a big conundrum to face in the hebeckers
1: sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, another one of those tractors coming past You'd think they'd give it a rest at the weekends, wouldn't you?
1: I love you back.
0: Yes, I am, Rebecca. Yeah, it's been a a long day in the garden.
1: Well, I've been working on the figures and... Oh, my head is splitting. Uh,
0: Oh, oh, I'm glad you're doing them, not me. Anyway, I guess you've been doing some prep as well for this week's Hobcast.
1: I have been doing some prep. It's episode 117.
0: Can't believe it. It seems to have flown by, though, hasn't it? We've been doing it for over two years. Can you imagine? Gosh,
1: and that's because we're publishers of crime
0: mysteries suspense and the other one thrillers
1: let's have a cuppa
0: oh gosh you've read my mind We just put
1: the kettle on it's been a tough morning
0: it's been a tough morning do you know what it's just struck me i've forgotten to tell the authors
1: (gasps) you haven't gosh you better get onto it now
0: yeah it's time we told them that we have a 24th author on our list
1: we do they need to know this
0: yeah well i'm very excited by this one Hilly me too Barbie. adrian yeah she's uh, fantastic rebecca really good and um you'll have to remind me what the title of her book is best of cold Sounds like good. your dinner
1: if we don't get a ring along yeah
0: yeah that's another one of our international contingent based in spain gosh do you know what we could have a really good holiday in fact a great honeymoon if we went to visit all the authors around the world that we know
1: i need a holiday i don't know about you adrian <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know. It's tough at times, isn't it? And it doesn't get any easier out there. Uh, the cows will be out for milking soon. And, uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough one. I um, think
1: we deserve a pint down the bull, don't you? Yeah,
0: The bull, the navigation even. That's a bit nearer. True. Yeah, but the beer's not very good. Uh, well, it's going to be a busy week this week. We might go to London. I don't like going up to London. You know, it's so Everything's so fast paced.
1: Oh, I know what you mean, Adrian. It's so busy down there, isn't it? People everywhere. When yeah. all we see is cows day in, day out. Yeah,
0: well, you know, we need uh, you know, we need to consider it because, you know, it's London Book Fair. And uh well, you know what uh, Reg gets like if you don't go to London Book Fair and gets a bit twitchy.
1: If you do go down to London Book Fair, I think you should go and see our friends Joffy Books, because they need a congratulations.
0: Again, well, you know their ever-expanding empire. It's hard to keep up sometimes. They've just bought uh, another, another publisher. Have uh, they
1: really, Adrian? Y-
0: yes, they have, and uh, it's it's not a small one. It's Loom Publishing, which brings them another eight hundred authors.
1: That's amazing. Clary did say something about that in in in, in, well, in the cafe.
0: I'm sure it's the talk of the village. Uh, well, you know that makes them the biggest independent publisher in the UK, or so they say, with forty million books read. I don't know what they're doing, and we're not.
1: Well, we do. We do have two of their books.
0: We do, <laughs> sitting on the shelf right now. What well,
1: would Brian say?
0: Well, indeed, indeed. I'll tell you what—it's uh, going to be causing a bit of a kerfuffle amongst the authors, and uh, that is going to affect Uncle Bob.
1: Uncle Bob. Oh gosh, what is it? You have to tell me.
0: Well, I hate to say it. I though. do need
1: this cup of tea.
0: Yeah, why don't you go and pour it? <laughs>
1: Yes, because I need—I can't have bad news without a cup of tea.
0: No, and uh, or indeed probably a gin for this particular character, Uncle Bob Robert Dawes uh, is of course around. The- in fact, he's in Yorkshire at the moment, performing his one-man show, uh, Woodhouse in Wonderland.
1: But, Woodhouse in Wonderland.
0: But Jeeves and Worcester's Worcester books are being changed. Can you imagine? Oh, you've made me one um i can't believe it they're changing the prose penguin have decided that pg woodhouse's books need the treatment that agatha christie's just had and ian fleming can you imagine
1: oh gosh no adrian i can't tell me more
0: that uh the thief believes that uh, modern readers will find the themes and characters outdated
1: that's outrageous
0: yes and guess what they've gone and got the sensitivity readers involved
1: Oh, not those sensitivity readers. I knew it would be trouble if they got those involved.
0: Yeah, well, they're death to anything, really. Uh, You know, so they're stripping out all the things that may be outdated. Uh, I'm just trying to find... uh, Yes, uh, there's a racial term, apparently, in Right Ho, the 1934 novel, which describes (laughs) uh, one character as a minstrel of the old school.
1: Wow, do you know? I think Joe Grundy has a copy of that.
0: Well, that would be worth something one day. That's uh, we haven't mentioned who's coming around for uh, for a quick cuppa later on and uh, joining us on the podcast.
1: No, we haven't. So we ought to, ought not we?
0: We ought to. Yes. It's Amma. No. We're not talking about next week's oh, guest. I do
1: apologise. They do my head is all over the place because I've been worrying about the London Book Fair.
0: Yes, Helene Keist is joining us to talk about her career.
1: She so, is indeed.
0: Uh, fantastic author. So we'll look forward to speaking to Helene. Should be here any minute. Oh, gosh, I see you've been cleaning too. There's no end to your been efforts. I've been
1: so busy. The figures, cleaning. <laughs>
0: it's always difficult here and
1: all this worry
0: yeah we we'll definitely
1: a, need a pint of the navigation in
0: such is the life in a rural area like norbury junction it doesn't get any tougher than this anyway i'll tell you what oh i think i can hear a knock on the door well, that'll be helene now let's go and speak to helene kissed helene kissed thank you so much for joining us here on the Hopcast book show
2: it's my absolute pleasure to be here thanks for having me
0: it's so our pleasure to have you yeah. on board. And uh, you're speaking to us from Scotland.
2: From Glasgow, my garden office, which is currently very cold because I refuse to keep the heating on past the 1st of April.
0: Well, <laughs> you're like me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We well, ha- we're having this battle at the moment, actually. We are.
0: We are. Look, it's blowing a, a well, hoony. i a
1: blanket.
0: It's blowing <laughs> a hoony out there. And this barn, we're, we're very exposed because there's a field just in front of us and there's nothing stopping the wind. When it blows, it just the temperature drops Glacially here, and I've just cranked the, the volume of the um the, the the boiler up a little
1: yeah but w- whereas in my head that feels wrong it's mid-april that just feels wrong to be using heating it's
0: yeah I know You're i bill. have it's to not I
1: have to just turn a blind eye when I see him do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to to you to the program from your your uh your garden office um and and how do you come to be in glasgow? What path of life has, t- has brought you <laughs> to this point?
2: Uh, it's such a strange place to be for a Dutch woman. Uh, well, the Scottish men are net importers of women, and I am one of them. Uh, I met my husband uh, 25 years ago when I, we both joined the same company, uh, me in Amsterdam and him in London, and we were sent on a three-week training course in a hotel in Florida, so when you are in your late twenties and stuck in a hotel for three weeks with other people, <laughs> stuff happens. Yeah, <laughs> I love that.
0: That's quite some stuff. I, yeah.
1: So um, I, I mean, I knew you you were Dutch, but it, I just suddenly thought because I lived in Amsterdam for a year and I absolutely loved living in Amsterdam. It was a wonderful year as a student, and my best discovery, Dutch discovery, was something called Vla. No, <laughs> it's <laughs> custard. Uh, yeah, I, I know, but we don't. Ha- we didn't really have right. like the chocolate and the strawberry flavors as well. The fact you could have the two the together. One, the I love one, that stuff.
2: Hopius is a kind of it's a it's a sweets from the Hague. It's a little hard boiled sweets that you suck on, and it's got a caramelly taste. And they make this custard with that flavor, and it's fantastic.
1: <laughs> wow! Okay. Have you ever had flar? No
0: I don't think I have oh
1: well I'll, we'll have to go sometime now I'll get you some vla double vla
0: <laughs> yeah, well, blah blah. blah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds amazing <laughs> right well, you know I'm cutting back on sugar, so we can't do that but um
1: it's not that sweet
0: so anyway. i mean <laughs> that's that's fabulous but uh, I mean in your biog on uh, on Amazon, you describe yourself as sort of a globe trotting um you know sort of uh career person yeah and and so Uh, how much of that experience of of working around the world and and, and travelling plays a part in your work?
2: Interestingly, not a huge amount um, because I think, you know, when you're trying to write books, you try to write books for people who can relate to them uh, a lot and um so they are set primarily in Scotland, I uh, am a diplomat child so I grew up all around the world, the fact that I was in Amsterdam for for that job was actually a fluke because I've not, really not lived in the Netherlands all that much in, in grand total, um, and I went to French school. And I learned my English when I was 10, but it's now my strongest language because primarily because of the international career, uh, I've, I've worked in English uh, mostly. So after studying in the Netherlands, I studied chemistry of all things. Um, I went to work in Brussels for a company called Procter Gamble. I used to make fairy liquid. Uh, very <laughs> so there are some mentions of fairy liquid in the books. <laughs> And there are, uh, and certainly in um, Stay Mount Sweetheart, which is a corporate thriller in a data science startup, that's that's very close to the sort of strategy consulting that I do now. But there's a lot of little details that nobody else would understand in the books, uh, but they are firmly set to Scotland.
0: Right. Okay. And that's, I mean, you've been, how long have you been in Scotland now then? Uh, you've. It's clearly oh, home.
2: Yes. Sorry? Twenty. 21, 22 wow, years. Wow, okay.
0: So this is the longest you've stayed anywhere.
2: So you spent your first
1: half of your life going everywhere, all over the place and being everywhere, and then you've, you've now settled. So that must be, feel quite different.
2: Um, it's It can get a bit boring. <laughs> you know, you get a little bit antsy, and what's next? And I think that's the affliction that, you know, Army kids have as well. On the one hand, there's something absolutely phenomenal about having a stable home. Uh, and on the other hand, you're like, but, but this is it. And and it's really that feeling of is this it that got me into writing. I mean, it was a bit of a midlife crisis where you're like, but surely there's something else I could be doing from here. So
1: you could, you're traveling in your mind in a way, aren't you? You might not be a different yeah. place because I set in Glasgow, but you're traveling to a different sort of reality that you've created. So I can see why that
2: is. Just <laughs> 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 to challenge yourself in different ways.
0: Yeah. So uh, when did the midlife crisis strike you? When, when did you first put uh, words to screen?
2: ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was uh, 2017. Basically, I decided this year I'm going to write a book. And I told all my Facebook friends that I would do so on the 1st of January 2017 and committed to having something done by the end of the year, which I did uh and I chose crime because I I really like uh reading crime and I wanted to have a nice fast paced kind of short chapter uh type of novel and so on the 23rd of December I sent it off to an editorial uh assessment and a beta reader saying right that's me done and you can tell me what you think of it on the 4th of January <laughs> um, and overnight because my beta reader was in India I got a bunch of emails from her saying, oh, this looks really nice. I started it as, oh my God. Oh, oh, I finished. It's fabulous. And you're like, oh, okay. Oh, wow. And, that is quick. i Um, unexpected. Because, you know, when I set out to write the book, it was really just for me. And yeah, I was going to self-publish and my mom would buy it maybe <laughs> or expect me to give her one but I certainly didn't have any expectations to have an author career. Definitely not. Um, but when the edit- editor also came back, I said, you got a cracking read here. I thought, Oh, there's, there's, I can do this. This is nice. <laughs> so,
0: wow. And, and, and you got that endorsement as well. I mean, it, it garnered nominations for some major awards. I mean, for the selfies at the London book fair um, and next generation indie book awards for that's for a latter book, but you know, best European fiction, um, silver medal as well at the uh, yeah. Independent Publishers mm-hmm, yes. Book Awards in the US, which is, that is phenomenal. Yeah, so, I mean,
1: very impressive. You know, we've got writers, or we we know, right? We know lots of writers, don't we? We know loads of writers. But did, some know. have been writing for years and years and years, or they take 10 years to write their first book. And so that must have felt amazing to get that sort of.
2: It, know, was a- <laughs> again, it was. Again, it just kind of. You know, I did it because I wanted to step out of the ordinary, and boy, you know, did that work. Because uh, the reason I ended up self-publishing that one, aside from it being rejected by agents for not fitting a particular nice niche, you know, box for a genre, is uh, that I had applied to be a crime-in-the-spotlight writer for Bloody Scotland. Um, So I used to that, and I thought, okay, well, here's the thing. I'm going to submit to it, and if they... They accept me, then I'm going to have to self-publish because I'm going to have to have a book, and and so that's happened. And what was amazing is that I had convinced uh, Sharon Baird, and who is obviously a very uh, well-respected crime blogger to read it before then and uh, and because of her endorsement lots of other people followed but she, she actually came to Bloody Scotland and came to say hi and stuff after my event and, and to say how much she was enjoying it so yeah it was quite whirlwind and what it's done for me is just introduced me to so many fun and nice people you know it is now not a career although, you know you'd like it to be but it's um it's really a social it's a social thing for me mm. now it's opened up that whole world of very different people to the ones I tend to to you know deal with in my professional life
1: yeah we um, found so, that as well haven't we yeah, it's, um, yeah. The, the cult crime writing community it's not just the writers but the, the readers the bloggers oh, the reviewers, the or anyone who's involved in it, they just—it's such a big community spirit, isn't
0: it? It is, yeah, absolutely. But I think there's also this feeling that you know we've got to support each other because goodness knows there's enough things out there to distract people from, um, you know, to to take their attention and indeed their their purchasing power. So <laughs> you know, you know, we're all sort of supporting each other. That we all, you know, as the tide rises, floats all boats, isn't it? And that's really the sort of spirit in which I think. Everyone we've met in the industry has approaches it. I hope that's the case.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard that phrase before. I like that.
0: Oh, right. It's the a, it's tide
1: a... rises and it floats all the boats.
0: Yeah, <laughs> something like that.
2: So <laughs> no, I'm, I'm certainly do my best to cheerlead, uh, particularly on Twitter, uh, and uh, and just support and just gush about other people uh, and uh, and their creations. So definitely, definitely, and I've benefited from a lot of that as well.
1: Do you get people asking you for advice now, now that you're, you know, a little bit further in your writing career?
2: Yeah. (laughs) And you should never ask me for advice or my opinion because I'm a blunt Dutch woman. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, I had um, my editor, so I, I do have an editor named Sarah Cox and she's very good. She has a friend who's written something and she didn't want to give her uh, an assessment of of it because she's her friend um and she said well I could send it to Helene but you have to really really want to and you have to drink some vodka before you read the <laughs> feedback <laughs> you know? um because you know I'll, I'll tell it like it is but I think um, that's a good thing because sometimes you know where you
1: might send something to someone and they'll just say yeah it's great and yeah and
2: i mean i don't i don't try to shatter anyone's dreams let me just quickly uh make that point i will continue to encourage and 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 support and you know by no means say oh don't bother because you know agents don't even reply nowadays you know i no uh, but uh, you know i will state the facts and, and and give you the context uh in which to make your own decisions mm.
0: yeah absolutely now that first book in servitude um deals with glasgow's you know, crime gang lab kind of background. Uh, so how much of that did you research? Do you know people from that? Are the, you in the? No, no, no. I mean, but, you know, it, look, it's, it's, it feels very evident when you're in bits of Glasgow, I have to say. Um, it's yeah. one of the cities I love. And, in fact, you know, all the best cities in the world have that undercurrent, I think. Mm. For Glasgow in particular, almost there's a subculture, almost glorying in its violent reputation and the hardness of the people. And actually they've got hearts of gold, most of them, but, yeah. but there are some really nasty knock, people knocking around as well. So how how much did you have to research that or was that just sort of evident? And was it, or was it work of your imagination on this? Yep.
2: Partly it's it's the reputation. So you know when I lived in uh, Edinburgh first uh, before moving to Glasgow, and when we were when we moved from show, and when we were going to go, oh my God, Glasgow! Ooh, you know <laughs> that's the Western <laughs> Wall. Um, and so when when I moved here in, in an area called Pollock Shields in Glasgow, south of the river, it is surrounded by very multicultural. Um, areas uh, it is very multicultural, and also just the closeness of the the slightly uh, more struggling areas with the with the more affluent. It's it's very close, and I think mm-hmm. that's why I thought, well, what should I write about? It it became very clear to me that what I needed to write about is, you know, how would someone like me, how would a well-to-do woman uh, get embroiled with gangsters accidentally who are just on your doorstep, and. Um, You know, we've all watched enough movies and all of that to get an idea of what they like, but uh, I I did also use some of my work expertise um, in that, in that it tackles uh, money laundering, which uh, as a strategy consultant, having done very many projects for financial institutions, every time I start a new project, they make me go through the money laundering training. (laughs) Uh, So I was kind of sick of it. I was like, oh, well, we're going to do money laundering. At least it's got a use now.
0: yeah that, that, that's
1: interesting isn't it yeah because i wouldn't know anything about money laundering i would never have a
0: clue well but... it, it's interesting i mean when i was at the bbc we had to go through anti-money laundering anti-bribery all sorts of courses yeah. um and uh then i would end up in countries hosting events where all of that was happening and basically to get anything done like in nigeria i well, basically had to bribe my to way you had around to, go to the toilet yeah 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 i mean it was as, <laughs> it was as crazy as that as Spending ten dollars right. to go to the toilet in yes, in Lagos. When you had a rather big issue. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you've eaten goat knuckle soup <laughs> from a street shack, yeah, you're going to have it's trouble.
1: Two thousand then.
0: <laughs> yeah. It did, but um, no, I mean it, it, it is something that I think society turns a blind eye to it. It feels like it's a victimless crime in some people's views. Mm-hmm. What, what's your take on it?
2: Well, it's not. It's uh, obviously anything that provides more money to criminals will just fund more crime. Uh, and I sit on the board of a company that um, basically scours the Internet for counterfeit goods uh, and takes them down and so i'm i'm very concerned about the proceeds of crime uh you know if you're buying your fake mascara you might not realize that you are contributing to human trafficking you know but you are you're just thinking hey i got a cheap mascara and the worst thing that could happen is you know i get a little irritated because it's it's not the real thing mm.
0: yeah and, and, and you know with glasgow i mean I, I remember this vividly back in the 90s when i used to visit a lot more than i than i have done recently but going to the barra's Where, which is an, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but this is a market uh, in the Barrowlands part of Glasgow, in the east uh, of Glasgow, near Celtic Park, uh, that kind of area. And it is full, it is the world's greatest counterfeit sort of marketplace ever, especially if you want software, or at least in those what days.
1: Software.
0: You know, like for computers.
1: Oh, I think it meant like clothes.
0: No, 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 no. No.
1: Um but it
0: is, it is an extraordinary place. Um and it is full of people's, you know, selling counterfeits. I mean it's you know.
1: granny knickers that you see on those sort of markets. Oh, CDs, sorry.
0: Right. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get back to the subject of the Paris. Anyway, I mean, you know, but it it, it is it is very evident. Well, you
2: know, yeah, and- it's and and in many places, you know, you go to any any tourist trap like Venice and Florence and all of that, and they'll have the fake Louis Vuitton uh, bags out and the fake Gucci sunglasses and and all of that. And I mean, the you know, not to get too technical, the the customs people do a huge amount of work mm. to stop stuff coming into the UK. Um, and and but you know, because. The, everything's gone online so much uh there, there's huge new opportunities and actually in wrong side this book i'm so bad at getting this right um <laughs> what i hid from you which is my latest novel it's around um a, a dentist who gets addicted to valium and when she can't prescribe it for herself anymore without attracting attention she she goes online and thinks that she's be- buying You know, from a genuine sort of pharmacist only to find that it's the local drug dealers um, who then recognize her because she's local uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, blackmail her with this information to then deal through the clinic. So there are definitely victims of these crimes.
0: Yeah, this is... What I hid from you is the the book we're talking about, isn't it? That's
2: quite
1: clever, isn't it? Because they're sort of big crimes, but in this case, it's happening to a very ordinary person and almost not by accident exactly. But
0: well, I mean, you wouldn't expect it from a dentist and a professional person, you know, with seven years' training behind them and all that sort of thing. But you say, uh, when you were writing the book, that this is inspired, maybe not directly, but by the many dentists that you know. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well yeah actually if you um so yes i i have quite a few dentists uh i have one in my family and 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 a few around you know who are the parents at school and we used to have breakfast and they would tell uh large tales of of misdeeds by their colleagues and also if you just look at the uh general dental council's website you can see some of the uh really quite scary uh things that some people have been embroiled in uh, and and, and that you know there are also very many statistics about stu- substance abuse among medical professionals and yeah. And, yeah. and suicide things like that and so that's really the the premise of what i hid from you where um rada is traumatized by the death of a patient in her chair and she was given a valium to calm down um but then realizes that you know not only does she get sort of ptsd and um just anxiety uh through that her life in 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 general is quite full of pressure you know but professional pressure she's a mom she wants to be the perfect daughter she cares for her dad she wants to be the perfect wife the perfect everything uh and then the pressure at the school gates and, and and absolutely everything and so she just succumbs to this addiction which is very easily done
1: yeah uh, yeah very no,
0: that's, that's, that's very true isn't it well it, yeah it is actually though i mean i i talking about medical professionals my i have a good friend who's the um what is he now he's head of theater uh nurses at one of the big hospitals in manchester and he used to joke that when they used to go out on a on a, a sort of work bender
1: yeah
0: um getting drunk and all that sort of thing they would all take turns on the oxygens so and when they got back in uh to the office the day you know into the ward or whatever the day after because that would <laughs> that would it was the best hangover cure they'd ever found was to go. Wow, and and same with pilots, apparently. They they try and cover their tracks, you know, if they've had a few too many and they're not oh, supposed yeah. to be well. On nowadays, they're a lot stricter
1: on that. But yeah, I've got a friend who's a pilot, and when she started, they get completely wasted yeah. and then fly home the next yeah.
0: day. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, I mean, we, we're sort of digressing really, but um, <laughs> let's just turn to that character of Rada. Then, I mean, you've, you have just distilled in that way you describe. Um, them you know as a character with you've given them plenty to work with in terms of things that are going you know you put them in a few pickles there and a few, a lot of the pressures so is that something that you spend a lot of time thinking about you know when you're going to create a character like that you put them through the (laughs) ringer
2: well it would be a boring book if you didn't sure Um, no for sure it's like oh she stubbed her toe poor Radha but um I think, you know, part of, interestingly, all all three books, so In Servitude, as well as Stay Mad, Sweetheart, and What I Hit From You, talk about sort of the female experience in in many ways, and in Stay Mad, Sweetheart, the female experience very much with the lens of sort of harassment and discrimination, but the other two are more domestic um, thrillers. And it is around some of the societal uh, pressure that is on women, but also the pressure that they put on themselves. And uh the, the what I hid from you, you know, she's she's doing some stupid things, right? And and you should just ask for help. <laughs> but we don't, right? We don't yeah. because we think we can cope, we think we can handle it, we don't want to disappoint people. And and so that's really a, a reflection very much of, of you know the average woman, particularly middle-aged woman's experience. Of being that sandwich generation and and that 's really what I started with as a premise, and then had to find ways to entrap her in situations that she then needed to find ways to get out of uh, uh, that that weren 't you know that weren 't obvious
1: I think that 's the attraction for the reader because i I love that sort of psychological domestic noir because you when you're reading it you think this could happen to me
0: yeah I think <laughs> that's that, crucial that
1: makes it so yeah it's so gripping mm. because it's you know it's not like a fantasy or you know like the sort of traditional thriller where they're running around with guns and drinking whiskey all over the world or whatever <laughs> <laughs> but you know you read it you think gosh that could be me or I feel like that well I, I
0: read a thriller I think that could be me you know
1: <laughs> what the running around with guns the- yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's a male fantasy. But actually, what what we're we're talking about here is the the appeal for uh, female readers towards stories that take them through their experiences and articulate them, but through story. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a fair way to describe it?
2: Absolutely. And then and then you know have have a fun story of this could happen to you. I try to make my books very realistic, um, also try not to be very black and white about things uh and and leave a couple of things open-ended um because otherwise it's too neat and and life isn't neat, life is messy,
0: yeah uh, well the question that popped into my head I mean from, as you were saying you know about the things that writing from a perspective of a character who's feeling the pressures that many women do um from sandwich generations you described it uh what's your feeling on this because I mean I don't know how Rada gets out of this situation or indeed any of your characters. Resolve these things, but how much of that is self-imposed? How much of that is you know driven by society? Could do your characters sort of finally come to their senses and sort of say, well, actually, get their priorities straight and 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 figure out what's important as opposed to what they think people think should be important? Is, is that if you if I'm not being too obscure? <laughs> I understand
2: what you're saying, I think, um, particularly. Uh, rather, but also uh, in, in servitude, it starts out very self-inflicted, right? And you want to. I have friends, and I know many women who will, you know, tell you the story of what's going on with them, and and this and that, that. And then sometimes you just want to slap them because you say, "Well, why are you doing this?" And and so in the book, you know, they have little examples to exemplify this so going into the kitchen in the morning and rearranging the dishwasher because it hasn't been done properly we've all done it right
0: no i do <laughs> but that that's and, me that's me i'm terrible at and, it and,
2: and and sort of you know uh oh somebody hasn't done the laundry well, i'll start the laundry well, but i'll only do these two things and then you're at it and there's oh, okay i'll just do this little bit more and you know there's <laughs> um so a lot of it is self-inflicted and I do talk to, to, to my friends, you know, when, when they are showing these kind of traits, uh, which I have recognized in myself and have tried to overcome. It's still hard. I'm still a control freak, but you know, less than I used to be. (laughs) Um, And I think the thing to remember, you know, that sort of control freakery fits with a dentist's character. It fits with a personal trainer's character, which is also, uh, you know, my first uh, in my first novel. And so, these are, these are genuine uh, responses that I think many people have. Um, I think it's partly societal because we wouldn't be putting the pressure on ourselves to be perfect because there wouldn't be a perfect unless it was shown to us what perfect is. But at the same time, we do do stupid things that really you should let go. And, yeah. and you know, once you hit 50, like, like I did a few years ago, you really don't give a crap anymore. <laughs> yay
0: yeah is that right i'm
1: 51 am i 51
2: yeah i'm 51
0: <laughs> that's yeah mind. your memory's gone so that, that's the first thing that went
2: yeah, yeah. I started no, it's true. Saying no at at age 40 i started saying no more and age 50 i just don't give a hoot anymore but anything just i'm just gonna do but how, well. much, how
0: much of that is being dutch been...
2: <laughs> i wouldn't i've always been dutch and yet yeah. you know I was i was very much trying to be a good girl uh and and now i'm um, just me yeah
1: well i think that's universal though because i you
0: know yeah. no I, I think you're right I, I think mean,
1: it's men and women because i think it, well, it, we're it's not... a different way well you let's mean, look it's at our manifestation, own manifestation
0: but well let's look at our own mothers
1: oh god really
0: <laughs> just for a moment because i mean i think that like, your mother is really has got to that stage of life where it, she does not give
1: she'll, she she'll say everything totally. She, totally
0: she's probably been a bit like that my mo- mother now I mean dementia is gripped her but to some extent but she's always been uh someone who wants to please yeah and yeah. now she has the freedom yeah to say what she really thinks and it's been really fun to hear it because you know it's been been hidden away for a long time
1: well, I've got a funny story. My mum was in hospital and they gave her a, a, a sort of an anti-sickness drug. And there's a small portion of people who react badly to this anti-sickness drug. And she was one of them. And it makes them very honest. <laughs> and so my sister and myself went to visit her Well, just after she'd had this drug. And she went, you, you are the pain of my life. That's like being really mean to me. My sister and I were just giggling because it was very funny. It was, very, I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't nasty with it, but it was almost like going off and living in other countries, and
0: yeah, she almost—it sounds like she became possessed. Almost, yeah. yeah, but yeah, anyway, the yeah, serum. So oh, the that's... true
1: person comes out. Yeah, uh,
0: that's it's that's, that's fascinating. Um, in terms of your working routine, in terms of your writing, I mean, you're clearly very busy. In you've got teenage boys as well. So which
1: you know
2: has
0: its own demands not least keeping the fridge full um but uh what what's your routine like do you do, do you make time for, uh, you know I'm, I'm guessing from what you've been saying about you know being um a control freak you set yourself a goal and you would go and achieve it
2: uh oh yes i'm very professional that way no not really um <laughs> <laughs> but uh So I'm in the very fortunate position that I work as a freelancer and I do not need to work all the time because of the type of work I do, I earn a a reasonable living. And and this is another one of the things that you say to to aspiring writers, you know, it's it's going to take some time and a lot of luck to be able to make this your full-time career. But I love what I do and I wouldn't want to give it up either. Um so what happens is that I write books when I'm not working. Mm. Um so I will have periods where I'm not working and then you know I try to not just lie in my bed all day and uh, and actually get up and and do some work. I so I then you know write all day. I'm very slow but I'm very meticulous so I edit as I go which means that if I've done 1200 words in a day they don't really need an awful lot more after and because I'm an uber plotter I know everything that happens in advance to, <laughs> uh, down to the smallest detail um I also don't have huge amounts of structural edits so by the time the book's done then you know it needs work of course it needs work but it's more like the varnish and and mm. the the, the added things and the added depth and and stuff but that you know there's not going to be any plot holes because I'm a very logical person
1: yeah <laughs> I mean that is a good good point about being a plotter isn't it I mean there are people who do it the other way where they just sit down and they start writing they don't know where it's going and they say the story takes me this way and takes me that way but but there is a big but isn't it that that then you have to spend a lot of time
0: yeah but this is this is difficult for me because i I, it's i'm the completely the opposite and 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 it's uh it would be anathema for me to sit down and, and plotting and indeed any form of planning uh which my job did Involved. Yes, he
1: likes
0: a tidy dishwasher. I like a tidy dishwasher, but that's about as organized as I get. I mean, it really, yeah, I really cannot um, sit in front of a spreadsheet or anything like that. Uh, it just isn't going to happen um, for me.
2: I think people um, sort of look at it as being just planning. And then once you know what happens, it's not interesting anymore. And And I disagree because ultimately my work is about problem solving. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do. You have a problem, come to me. Uh, I think my LinkedIn bio even says I've never met a complex problem I didn't like. You know, it's, <laughs> it's what I do and I love it. And I view this as problem solving. So the the planning is having the structure, the skeleton of a story and to make that work. Like, how do I make a story with a nice twist and a this and a that work? Mm-hmm. And that's that's a problem to solve. And then the next problem when you are writing the words is actually I have my outline, which is 13,000 words, so about a sixth of a book. And it says exactly what needs to happen in this chapter. Um, but then the problem is, how do you get that to flow naturally in those 2,000, 1, whatever words in a way that makes sense, in a way that the people would actually react? Um, and and so it's getting from point A at the start of the chapter to point B at the end of the chapter, and the the trajectory that that takes is also problem solving uh and so yeah. there's a second level of enjoyment there
0: yeah no that's right i mean you know I, I totally agree with you you know when when you have got even if you know what the outcome is at the end of that in your the point where you want to finish the the joy is that that sense of i mean i love that period that period when i'm writing a chapter and there's a flow but you're you're so you're your mind's subconscious takes over and, and solves those problems for mm-hmm. you. It is a wonderful feeling. There's there's nothing better, I think, in the world really, than that 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 sense. But I don't think I could ever start. You know, I never would have the discipline. To be perfectly honest, to be able to map out exactly how it's going to be.
1: You also, it's in patience as well. I think. Oh yeah, uh, You just impatient. want to do it. You just want to get on with it. Mm. The same with any project that we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say to really you,
0: really making some, <laughs> our listeners, our authors are listening to this.
1: I'll say to you, look, let's just sit, let's just sit and think about it for a minute before you go up and do it. True. True. But well, I think you know somewhere in the middle is always a good place to be. Well,
0: I've always been one of the great. Sort of plate spinners of the world, um, in in terms of you know, and that's when when things were at their most fluid and most um, in the moment at work in in the BBC as a journalist. That's when I was at my best, mm. uh, where there was no you know you 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 could and that and that is that's in itself has 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 value, but greater value was always placed in an environment and an organisation like that on somebody who could come up with the lovely spreadsheet of how this is going to unfold um, <laughs> you know which in many ways it often does but at the same time if you haven't got somebody who can think on their feet then you're in trouble when That's the, I say.
1: you need you need both don't you well
0: especially if you're working in sport or news because <laughs> you know you can't tell me it's you know exactly what's going to happen absolutely yeah, yeah exactly, absolutely yeah we're approaching that moment
1: oh are we yeah oh.
0: <laughs> we are <laughs> the the moment where no amount of planning no amount yeah, of
1: can't plan for this there is you?
0: there is no you know,
1: this stresses no, me out right? <laughs> right
0: this this is it there's no
1: and I don't plan that much either I thought of it while I walked from there from the kitchen to the
0: I have no control over what is about to come out of Rebecca's mouth so let us let us I'll give it the build-up and then we will hit the Rebecca the random question here we go Rebecca's random question
1: ironically, this is a bit quite related to what we've been talking about, about sort of being a woman and being busy and trying to be perfect. And I was in the kitchen just now working and I thought, and it's a bad thing to say, but I'd love to get an illness now so I could lie in bed for a bit. But nobody (laughs) likes being ill, do they? They don't like the symptoms you get. So I thought if I could create an illness, which meant you didn't have to work, but was actually quite pleasant. What symptoms would I have? Um, For me, it would be something like compulsive need to read books, (laughs) inability to cook meals for people so I could lie in bed and read. So my question to you is, if you were to invent a virus, what would be the the good symptoms that your virus could
2: have? Wow! I I think the virus uh, that I would want is uh, immobile muscle toning. I think oh, yeah. that it would the, the, the virus would chew through your muscles and sort of strengthen the, the you know, filaments in your muscles while you're lying in bed. And the minute you move, it stops. And so really, you should you should stay in bed and and have your muscles strengthened by this virus until such time that you think enough is enough. and You don't want to turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, and then you get back up and cook dinner.
0: That is, yeah, extremely... yeah. and that's, that's. I think that's marvellous.
1: Yeah, considering you came up with that on the spot as well, like you know, it sounds like you thought about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd like I'm a virus do... that gave me guitarist calluses on, on on my left hand, so that I could play the. You know, because I'm working on it. I am working. Here we go. Here comes the guitar. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, as as Rebecca was saying, I want instant gratification and and results. And uh, learning the guitar is is anything but um so uh so your
1: virus would give you instant guitar skills
0: well no it would give me give me the
1: just the hard fingers
0: yeah alternatively you know if they could be a little longer as you can see uh helene um these are rather (laughs) sausagey fingers rather short and um so the guitar really isn't my instrument but i'm determined to master it
1: whereas i have much longer sort of good fingers for guitar but i can only play smelly
2: cat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we all love smelly gut
0: <laughs> so um helene it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you um where can people find you online and 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 uh, and follow your author career
2: i'm uh most active on twitter i would say so if you want to engage then it's hpist uh on twitter although it's a bit of a dying platform at the moment <laughs> um we'll uh, yep. see what what happens to it. But that's uh if you want me to engage, absolutely that's the place to be. I am on Facebook also, but just not very disciplined at that. Uh you can buy all three of my books um on the big zone and any other retailer. Um and they are in stock in Scottish Waterstones, the or the what I hit from you is as well. And, um, yeah, and I have a website, hailingkiss.com, where you can send me a message if you want. Um, and, and just look at uh, pictures that I paid money to have made of me.
0: <laughs> I love that. Um, um, what have you got coming next? Have you got any books uh, in the pipeline?
2: I do. Um, it's a bit of a departure. It's a, uh, locked room mystery. Ooh. Um, but in, uh, it is very contemporary. But golden era like in its um, impossible crimes. So people are stuck in the residence gym of a smart apartment building top floor and uh, people start dropping like flies and you don't know how you don't know why and you don't know who.
0: Wow. Oh, that intriguing. Fantastic.
1: I like locked room uh, stories. So, you do. Yeah. You do. All right. <laughs> I'll lock you in a room. Make a story about it.
0: Absolutely. Lock me in my studio. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, Helene.
2: Thank you. And have a lovely day.
0: Our thanks to Helene Kist for joining us on the Hopcast Book Show. And she did really well with the random question. Really quick answer.
1: I know. I didn't expect that at all, but she did really well.
0: Terrific. And our guest next week.
1: Is, our guest next week is Amir Amir Anwar,
0: who is a previous winner of the CWA debut Dagger.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's quite exciting. We're going to talk exciting, to him.
0: Yeah, based in London, Amir Anwar is joining us on the podcast next week. So, uh, as you'd have gathered from our um, archers segment at the beginning of the (laughs) show Uh, and the reason we did that was because we took inspiration we were in the mailbox in Birmingham this week um, en route to looking at a um, a Grayson Perry exhibition in Birmingham but so the mailbox is the home of BBC Birmingham uh, and it is where they make the archers
1: I didn't know that
0: yeah it's based in Birmingham and so we thought we would pay our own little homage to the way that the archers is put together. And if you're very lucky, you might just hear one or two of us, the two of us perhaps, uh, making an attempt at the Archer's theme tune a little later. You
1: will hear that, because I'm determined.
0: (laughs) In fact, yes, you probably heard it at the beginning. I haven't decided where it's going to sit in the show. We we will decide. Uh, The big decision this week is whether we go to London Book Fair. And realistically, as we're meeting one of our authors on Wednesday, our only day to go is Tuesday this week. And I'm...
1: And it probably will be just one of us because of family commitments.
0: Yeah, well, that is a big factor. But the the other factor is, as we said in previous episodes, is just how tough an environment it is. And everyone's time pressured at London Book Fair. Um, You know, to actually get much out of it is going to be a challenge, to be honest.
1: So it is... We're sitting on the fence at the moment about it. We really don't know whether it's worth
0: Yeah, there's plenty of other time things to, and expense. To, to be getting on with, uh, to be to be honest. Anyway, um no. I mean at the moment I'm I'm leaning not going.
2: Because mm. you know,
0: any trip to London, day trip, squeezing all of that in. Arriving back home, I just find it knackering, actually. It knocks me out from the chunk of the, the week uh, that follows. So we'll 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 see. Um I'm very Delighted to say that finally I uh, have finished recording the Legionary series by Gordon Doherty, or at least the five books I was commissioned to do of the eight. So that's eight with my um, narration credits on it. Uh, I finished it uh, a couple of days ago, and I I feel really fantastic about that because it has been an epic project of about three months' work.
1: Yeah, it's consumed your life since just after Christmas.
0: Yeah, and it's been – I've learned a lot from it. I've written a blog. If you go to com, another of our websites, you will find my blog. And uh, it is all about what I've learned from doing such a big project and the things that uh, I have done differently from previous recordings.
1: And it features a lovely picture of the Hobart cottage.
0: It does. It does. And you are so mega busy at the minute.
1: Um, yes, I've just finished one big um, editing project for um, another publisher, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So I'm in that happy space. Before I embark on the next lot of work, and I've I've been cleaning.
0: You have <laughs> that in a departure. Uh, Rebecca's been cleaning. No, we we've been we, you know trying. We haven't had the boys here this week, and we did say to ourselves we'll get the house in order, and we haven't really. Um, but then you know you know, best but you know it's it, other things get in the way don't they
1: yeah i mean it's the surface clean but it needed doing and it's done yes. It looks a
0: bit better it does look a bit better yeah. so i'm going
1: to dive bit. into the work tomorrow
0: yeah and i have written myself a very long project list of all the things that i want to get on top of that perhaps have uh, been sidelined a little by the narration projects but uh, it's been as i say an honor to do those books for wf house limited who uh will be at london book fair and maybe if i do go then i'll go and have a chat with them So hi and say hi hi i'm the author i'm the uh, narrator of five of your books out of the 2000 you released <laughs> this year
1: uh you <laughs> and know. they'll say oh yeah we know you <laughs>
0: yeah they're not going to say that are <laughs> you're they? the
1: voice of pavo if
0: you go on there yeah if you go on their website you know that they, they sort of talk about the narrators they use like david tennant and judy dench uh and ian mckellen and funnily enough i don't actually feature in that section
1: well humph
0: yeah it's only a matter of time it really is. It really is. Uh, so thank you for joining us on the Hopcast Book Show. Uh, Amir Amnoir is our guest next week. And we look forward to speaking to you then. Don't forget to go to our websites, plural, Adrian Hobart, narration.com <laughs> Could
1: be here a while. For your
0: narration projects. Archpublishing.net uh, for our publishing services. And we had quite a lot of interest this week, which is very gratifying. And of course, www.hobeck.net for details of all of our authors, including our new one. Hilly Barnby, who will be we uh, will be publishing uh in the autumn in the autumn yeah. yes that's right and we
1: have a mutual friend with Hilly don't we which was a bit uh, of a surprise it was a
0: big surprise absolutely 100% yeah um friends from Brighton so uh, that was exciting and um yeah There you can find all the details of what we get up to. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at www.hobeck.net. But for myself, Adrian Hobart.
1: And myself, Clary Grundy. I mean, Rebecca Collins.
0: (laughs) We'd like to thank you for joining us. And we wish you a wonderful and... Creative. ...week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hoback Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website www.hobeck.net You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobec online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto Trad Values, Indie Spirit.